And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start a four-part series on the idea of temptation. We'll be looking at the temptations of Jesus. The title of this series is The Devil Made Me Do It. Y'all remember that little flip? Some of y'all are too young to remember Flip Wilson, but most of us remember Flip Wilson, that little skit he used to do. The devil made me do it. So we're going to be looking at the temptations of Jesus. But today's lesson's entitled, wait a minute. And I don't know about you, but I am not good with this whole idea of delayed gratification. You know, putting something off today so you can have a better result tomorrow. You know, I'll see somebody that's uh, a good athlete or he's in really good shape. I say, you know what? I would like to look that way. But then I also like Reese's Cups. And so my idea is, I'm not going to wait for that. I got the Reese's Cup right now. So a Reese's Cup in hand is better than a good body in the future, right? Somebody put on Facebook uh, a 5K race for uh, folks that like instant gratification. Basically, they say, on your mark, get set, go get your T-shirt. And that, that's my kind of 5K race like that. And, and maybe you all are that way to a little bit. Do we, do we reward ourselves now or do we put it off till later? And a lot of dealing with temptation that comes our way is the ability to be able to say no today to something better tomorrow. And I'm going to introduce something in this lesson that I want us to keep through all of these lessons, and that's this sentence. Don't give up what you want most for what you want now. Don't give up what you want most for what you want now. And we'll, we'll, I'll show you how that plugs in as we get going uh, with this. We're going to be looking at how Jesus was tempted and how he dealt with these temptations. We're going to look at each one, but today we're going to look at kind of the backdrop of the temptation, the background behind it, the backstory, and just make some general comments about temptation, and, and as we get started, I'm going to give you two thoughts up front that's going to be the theme of this message today, and we're going to repeat both of these thoughts over and over again. When we're dealing with temptation, number one, it's always a bigger deal than we think. There's always more going on than what we think. It's a bigger deal than we think. Number two, the way we handle temptation reveals our confidence level in God. The way we deal with temptation reveals our confidence level in God. And, and we're going to be keeping those in our mind, and we'll, we'll bring that out through today's lesson. And if we could just learn to say, wait a minute. When we're tempted to do something, we're tempted to say something, we're tempted to act a certain way, if we would learn to say, just hold it a second, let's slow down, and let's examine this for what it really, really is. I don't know how many bad decisions I've made when someone says, you can buy this today. And then tomorrow I'll wake up and say, man, I wish I hadn't done that. If I had only learned to slow down first and say, just hang on a second, wait a minute, the end result would have ended up better. So that's kind of where we are headed today a little bit. Uh, whether it's cheating on a test or lying to get yourself out of trouble, cheating on a business deal, cheating on your husband or wife or fiancé or, or whatever, those questions are going to be put before us quite often, aren't they? 
And the reason why I bring this series up is, is I dealt with the situation here just a while back that I kind of had to wait and say, hang on a minute. What is the backstory behind all of this? What's happening? And when I was able to recognize what it may be, I realized that Satan may have put a snare in my way. I was able to say, wait a minute. We need to go a different direction. So that's kind of what we're looking at today. And a lot of times we don't see the connection between temptation and our confidence in God. But before the next four weeks are over, I promise you, you will. Now, whether we learn to act on it depends on us. But we'll understand how temptation and our confidence in God go together. But have you ever saw those super Christians? I call them super Christians. Those that seem like they're they're always talking about God, they're always praising the Lord, they're always have a, a a song on their heart, a verse that they're saying. I just call them super Christians, and we think, man, I'd like to be able to get. I wish I had it all together like they did. Can I let you in on a secret? Chances are they probably don't have it all together as much as we think they do. If we can see behind the curtains and see behind the scenes. But also, these are people who have learned and have walked life a little bit to where they've learned to be confident in their relationship with God. They've learned that God will take care of them. And the reason they look like a super Christian is because they have confidence in God. They know that nothing's going to come up in front of them that God can't handle and that God's not going to see them through. So as we look at these temptations of Jesus separately, we're going to look behind the scenes at how Jesus dealt with temptation. Because when we see how Jesus deals with temptation, it's going to help us be able to do the same thing. And, and that's our goal. The word Christian means Christ-like, right? And if we say that we're Christ followers, that means we should follow and do the things that Christ did. So let's see how Jesus dealt with temptation and, and see if we can't do the same thing. So that's what we're going to do today. Our two thoughts again. It's always a bigger deal than you think, and the way you handle temptation reveals your confidence level in God. But before we get into all the temptations, let's read our text. And we're going to read this morning starting at Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. We'll get into 4, but I'm going back for context. Matthew 3, 16. And when John was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And then it goes into chapter 4. Remember that these chapters and verses were not put in by Matthew. When Matthew wrote this, it was one long letter. Translators put the, and I'm glad they did. It makes it easier to learn and work through. But chapter 3 goes right into chapter 4. After the baptism, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds or comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and 
On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Once again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their, and their glory. And he said to him, All this I will give you if you will fall and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. Get out of here, Satan. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now, before we get into the temptations themselves, as we need to do, let's look at the backstory and lay context into these temptations. And if we're going to look at the temptations, you can't separate the temptation of Jesus from the baptism of Jesus because they go together. So when we go back to, Mark, uh, to, to Matthew chapter 3 and verse 16, we see... Jesus being baptized. And it's, it's kind of, John the Baptist is out baptizing. This inaugurates Jesus' ministry. And I'm going to have more to say that here in just a little bit. But Jesus comes to, he sees John baptizing. He comes to be baptized. And remember John said, hang on a minute. I don't need to be baptizing you. You need to be baptizing me. And Jesus said to John, no, we need to do this. I need to be baptized. And so John baptizes Jesus and as Jesus comes up out of the water, it gets kind of mysterious, doesn't it? That dove kind of comes down out of heaven and a voice, You're my beloved son, and whom I am well pleased. You're my son that I love. You're the one this Jesus wouldn't this give how would what would you think if when you came out of the baptistry waters, a dove landed on your shoulder and you heard a voice that said, you're my child. Welcome to my family. Wouldn't that be a pretty cool thing? Well, that's what happens with Jesus here. Jesus is being inaugurated into his ministry. His ministry is just starting. Jesus is on a mountaintop. Wouldn't you say that's a pretty big deal? God has spoken. God just doesn't do that every day. God has spoken. And he tells Jesus... Good job, son. I'm proud of you. You're my beloved son. As you get that in your mind, the very next verse says, in verse 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And we want to go, huh? Well, doesn't that, say, that, that seems weird, doesn't it? Good job, son. We're, we're, I'm proud of you. Now we got to go. Where are we going? We're going to the wilderness. Well, why are we going over there? You're going to be tempted of the devil. But wait, wait, wait a minute. I, I just thought you said you were proud of me and I'd done good. Where are we going again? We're, we're going to the wilderness. And what are we going to do when we get there? We're, you, you're going to be tempted of the devil. Before we get started in the whole rest of this, we need to understand that quite often the tempter comes while we're on the mountaintop. We can't get going too quickly for the Lord before Satan's going to say, we're going to have enough of this. You can't serve him. You can't do right. You're not going to be doing Lord, the Lord's work and the devil shows up. You remember back in the Old Testament when... Elijah 
had the showdown with all the prophetess and prophets of Baal. And they had the altar and the fire came down from heaven and consumed everything. Well, that was a mountaintop experience for Elijah. And in the very next verse, the next chapter, the first verse, Jezebel gets involved. And Jezebel says, I've had enough of this Elijah. I'm going to kill him. And Elijah falls into a depression. At a mountaintop moment in Elijah's life, he should have been happy. He should have been, I told you that's my God. Remember when after, before he calls down fire from heaven, he looks at the people of Israel and he says, how long are you guys going to waver between two gods? Why can't you, let me show you who the real God is. And boom, fire came down from heaven. And if I'd have been Elijah, I'd have gone, uh-huh. Wouldn't you? That's my God. But the very next verse, he's depressed and he's running for his life and he's afraid. And he says, God, just take my life. I'm the only one left. You see, the tempter comes quite often while we're on the mountain. So we need to be looking. We need to be looking for that tempter. To me, one of the most effective scenes in the movie, The Passion of the Christ, and it was a terrific movie. But when Jesus was on trial, and, and when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed. And he says, Lord, take this cup from me. The actor that was playing Satan, they just showed him very faintly off in the distance. And I thought that was very effective because, believe it or not, the Garden of Gethsemane was just as much a temptation for Jesus as the temptations were, we read about a minute ago. Quiet out. Now you would expect Satan at the garden, wouldn't you? You expect, expect Satan when you've just got a bad health scare. You expect Satan if you've been handed a pink slip. Quite often we don't expect Satan on the mountaintop. Y'all, we need to be looking. If things are going well, things are going well in our church, y'all, we need to be watching. Because Satan ain't going to put up with it. Satan's going to say, we can't have those folks standing old new hope on fire for Jesus. If we do, then ought to be folks getting saved, and we can't have that. He can't, he's not going to have any of mine. Satan's not going to sit still. So see how the baptism of Jesus and the temptations go together? We can't separate the baptism of Jesus and the temptation of Jesus. The baptism inaugurates Jesus' ministry. Satan knows that Jesus is getting ready to start his ministry. And he knows that that ministry is going to end up with the cross. Jesus knows that as well. And so right up front, the tempter comes to try to discredit Jesus. Right up front, the tempter comes to try to put a stop on everything that's just been inaugurated. But as we keep on reading in chapter 4, verse 2 after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Duh. Because sometimes you wonder why that's even... He was hungry. He hadn't had anything to eat 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. Then the very first word, 
verse 3. Then the tempter came. <clears throat> Jesus has had that mountaintop moment. He's seen the dove. He's heard, you're my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. He's been led by the spirit into the wilderness for this temptation. He's gone 40 days and 40 nights without food. He's hungry. Then the tempter came. You suppose it would have been much of a temptation if the tempter came on day one? No. If Jesus had said, hey, let's, uh, let's get this temptation thing over with. Come on, Satan, I'm ready. But I don't know about y'all, but if I go 40 minutes without food, <laughs> you know, I'm ready to eat again. Have you ever eaten so much you say, man, I won't eat again for three days and four or five hours later it's time to go eat again, right? Forty days and forty nights he's hungry. Then the tempter came. Then the, temp the tempter arrived. And by the way, the tempter is a real person. It doesn't say then temptation arrived. It says then the tempter, the devil, Satan. Satan is real. Our world today wants to say that Satan's not real. Satan's just a personification of, of all evil. And there's not really, there is a tempter. There is a Satan, and that Satan is real, and he appears to Jesus. And then what follows are three temptations of Christ. And every temptation we encounter in life is going to be a variation of the temptations that Jesus encountered. All three of them. Here they are. Number three, or number one, you're going to be tempted to meet a God-given need in an ungodly way. Every, and we'll talk more about this, I'm just going to touch this and go on. Every desire, every need that we have is a God-given need. God gives us a need, he gives us hunger. He gives us a need for comfort. He gives us a need for companionship. But in every need that he gives us, he tells us how we're supposed to fulfill that need. One temptation, the first temptation of Jesus is to meet a God-given need. He's hungry. Forty days and forty nights, he's past hungry. He's hungry. And Satan says, wouldn't you like something to eat? There's the temptation. Number two, to manipulate or to use God to meet our own agenda. To manipulate or to use God to meet our own agenda. Here's how this works. Satan takes him up to the temple and says, if you'll jump off, God will take care of you. After all, if you won't prove you're the son of God, if you're not the son of God, you'll just go splat. But if you're God's son, God's going to send angels and he'll take care of you. Right in front of all these people. If you want to be uh, recognized as God's son, that'd be a pretty good way to start, wouldn't it? Manipulate God to fit your own needs. We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Number three, to take a shortcut and do the right thing in the wrong way. To take a shortcut and do the right thing the wrong way. So that's the big three. To meet a God-given need in an ungodly way. To manipulate and to use God to meet our own agenda. Or to take a shortcut and to do the right thing the wrong way. Every temptation you face is fueled by one of those big threes. Every one of them. This is Satan's playbook from the garden. And we'll talk about that as we go along. Satan hasn't changed his playbook. 
Why should he? He's pretty successful at it, isn't he? But when we slow down for just a minute and we realize that what's in front of us, it might not be as simple as we think. This is really a temptation to see whether or not I trust God and whether or not I'm going to wait on God. When we look behind the curtain and we see what's going on, temptation will start to lose its power and its hold over us. Y'all remember the movie The Wizard of Oz? And the great and mighty Oz. And he has that big, loud, booming voice until that curtain, Toto pulls the curtain back and we find that little bitty feller and we find out Oz isn't nearly as powerful as we thought he was. You see, that's the way temptation is. We say, well, I just can't overcome this. I can't get this right. I just always get, we need to realize what's going on. And, we, and if we'll do that, we'll pull back the curtain and understand temptation, just like the mighty eyes, it's not as powerful as we think it is. When we pull back the curtain on temptation, it'll start to loosen its grip on you. Now, temptation is never going to go away. It's always going to be there. But God wants to move us past the hold that temptation has on our life. Jesus Christ didn't come just to break the hold of sin for you and me for eternity. That was part of it. But did you know because Jesus Christ has done that, you and I can live a victorious life right now? The battle's already won. Or the war's already won. The battle goes on every day. And if we will take the victory of Jesus and live that way in our lives, Temptation is going to be smaller for us. It's not going to seem as insurmountable as it did before. And one of the ways Jesus helps us, one of the ways he gives us victory over temptation is to show us right here in these verses how to deal with it. Everything we need to deal with temptation is found in these verses. How Jesus dealt with temptation is the way that we need to deal with temptation. But the two things we talked about before we started, I said these are our two things today. First of all, it's always a bigger deal than you realize. There's more going on than you think. A lot of times we often think it's eat or don't eat. Drink or don't drink. Go to this party or don't go to this party. Do this act or, or don't do this act. To disclose something or not disclose something. And that's the cycle of temptation in our response. We think the only thing that's going on is right there in front of us. We do it, we say it, we give in, and then we feel guilty. And we say, Lord, forgive me, and, and then we blow it off, we go on about our business until the next time. And as far as our guilt is concerned, we do something, we give in to temptation, we say, well, if we're Catholic, you go to the priest and say a confession, right? We're Protestants, so we quote John 1, 9. Uh, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. If you're Calvinist, you say it doesn't really matter anyway, I can't help it. And if you don't know what you are, you say it's something like bad karma. And that, that's what it is. The point being is we don't take temptation seriously. We just say, well, 
I fell that time. I'll do better next time. Just, just, you just wait till next time, Satan. I'll get you. But trouble is, the next time we do the same thing. The definition of insanity is to keep doing the same things the same way and expect a different result. We need to do something different, don't we? We need, first of all, to remember there's more going on than what is right here in front of us. When we look at Jesus' temptations, it wasn't just a bunch of rocks. It wasn't just a temple pinnacle. It wasn't just a mountaintop. There was a whole lot more to take into consideration. Did you know here in the wilderness with Jesus, we are there? Because what Satan is trying to do to Jesus is trying to convince Jesus that he's really not the perfect, sinless Son of God. Because you know what? Had Jesus succumbed to any of those temptations, when Jesus died on the cross, he'd be dying for his sins, right? The only thing that makes Jesus the sacrifice for our sins is the fact that he was sinless. There was a lot in stake right here in this wilderness. It's a whole lot more than a pile of rocks. It's a whole lot more than filling up his belly right then. Sin is never just about the moment or the event. It's always a bigger deal than we realize. With every temptation, your future is under consideration. With every temptation, someone else's future is under consideration. And with every temptation, your faith is under consideration. Your future is under consideration. You know, it's easy to see this in other people. It's easier for us to see it in others than it is for us to see it in ourselves. Remember when your kids or grandkids were little and they yanked a dog's ear? Or they yanked a cat's tail and we think, oh my goodness, they're going to grow up and they're going to be a serial killer. <laughs> and we, 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 we see where the future can lead. And we, we make big deals out of everything, sometimes rightly so. We watch a movie. You're watching a scary movie. And there's a noise on the other side of the door. And here comes somebody. They're going to walk over to the door. And you're saying, don't do it. Don't open that door. Because we know something bad's fixing to happen, right? Don't get separated from the group because the guy that's left behind always gets killed. Y'all remember in, when the Empire Strikes Back and Luke Skywalker is there with the Emperor and Darth Vader and they say, Luke, give in to your destiny. There is Luke. <laughs> give in. There's no other way. And you will say, there's a way. We don't know what it is, but there's a way. It's easy to see it in other people. We see our neighbors. They're just trying to keep up with the Joneses, and one of these days they're going to crash. But I've got a question for you. If we could see the future in our kids yanking a dog's tail, and we can see the future in our neighbors trying to live like the Joneses, why can't we see it in ourselves? With every temptation, our future is at stake. Our future, what's coming next, is at stake. Don't sacrifice what you want most 
for what you want right now. With every temptation, your future is at stake. But not only that, somebody else's future is under consideration too. With every temptation you face, somebody else's future is under consideration. Your husband, your wife, your kids, your parents, your company, your co-workers. You say, well, I'm not hurting anybody. Y'all, none of us live on an island by ourselves. The things we do, either good or bad, have consequences not only to ourselves, but to those around us. This is an often told story, but there was a young man who was killed as a drunk driver. He was drunk and he, he died. He, killed himself. he didn't kill himself, but he had a wreck while he was drunk and he died. And the daddy was saying, boy, if I could ever find out where he got that liquor, I'd go tell that person something. And the girlfriend said, he got the liquor out of your liquor cabinet. That's pretty tough, isn't it? You see, we don't, the decisions we make don't just affect us. If it did, it wouldn't be so bad. It'd be bad enough. But our kids' futures are at stake. Our co-workers, our neighbors, What you do or don't do reaches far beyond you. Your future's under consideration. Someone else's future's under consideration. And your faith is under consideration. Because did you know, every time you sin, and by the way, not doing God's will is sin. It's not a mistake. It's sin. Every time you and I sins, it damages our relationship with God. You think after Adam and Eve sinned, that relationship wasn't damaged? What did they do? They hid from God, right? Because the relationship was damaged. Your children. Well, let's, let's not even talk about your children. Let's talk about us. When we know we've messed up and, our, and, our, and we know our parents know we've messed up, Probably some of the most uncomfortable times in my childhood were when I knew I messed up, my parents knew I messed up, and we were on the way home, and they didn't say a word. Have you been there? You're just waiting for that shoe to drop because you knew that what you had done messed up your relationship. Now, you knew your mom and dad loved you. You were pretty sure they weren't going to kill you. You were hoping anyway. But the relationship's damaged. Every time you sin, you damage your accountability to God. Remember when Cain killed his brother Abel? And God talks to Cain and says, Where's your brother? And he said, Remember? Am I my brother's keeper? God doesn't say it, but basically he... He says it in the, yeah, your accountability to God changes when you sin. Your emotional connection with God changes when you sin. Have you ever done something so bad you were so embarrassed that you didn't want to pray about it because you were ashamed? Haven't we all done that?
We hear left and right about people that are leaving the faith. And I'm going to say something that I, that I think is true. I, I, it's not, the more I look at it, the more true I really believe it is. I don't think people leave the faith because of intellectual discrepancies. I think they behave themselves out of God's fellowship. They behave themselves out of God. They, they lose their faith one sin at a time. We'll, we'll, bring that, we'll, we'll bring that back as this series goes along. So that's number one. It's always a bigger deal than you think. Something's going on. Your future is under consideration. Someone else's future is under consideration. And your faith is under consideration. But also, the way you handle temptation says a lot about your confidence in God. Because at the heart of every temptation are, is, are these questions. If you, if you zoned out, come back in for a second. Because every temptation has got these questions with it. Number one, can God be trusted to meet my needs? I've got needs. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I want to be loved. Can I trust God to meet those needs? Number two, can God be trusted to empower me to say no? So first of all, can I trust God to meet my needs? Number two, can God give me the power to say no? Have you ever just over and over and over given into certain temptation? And you say, well, I just can't overcome that. What we're really saying is God can't give me the power to overcome that. That's the question that's in our mind. Number three, can God be trusted to take care of me? Watch this. Every time you give in to temptation, every time I give in to temptation, what we are saying is God can't be trusted. I've got to do it myself. I want it right now. My way. And this is the way that it's going to work. Every time we say yes, we say to God, no, I don't trust you. So remember, it's always bigger than we realize when we deal with temptation. The way we handle temptation says a lot about our confidence in God, whether or not we trust God. We need to learn to wait a minute in order to see and to think clearly. As we wrap this up, if you're really young this morning, a lot of your future is probably in front of, of you. So there's a lot at stake when you think about temptation. If you're really old, a lot of your legacy lays in front of you, right? And if you're somewhere in the middle, we have a lot of future. We have legacy. Let's finish well. I don't care how old you are this morning. If you're 22 or 92. Don't you want to finish well? I do. I hope you do. And we're going to do a little something right here with this lesson. Because I, I want you to remember the, these points. And it might sound kind of corny, but since I'm the one doing the speaking, we're going to do it, okay? I'm going to tell you three things, and then we're going to repeat them together, okay? 
The first one is temptation. You will not take my future. Let's say that together. Temptation. You will not take my future. Number two. Temptation. You will not take my family. Temptation. You will not take my family. And number three. Temptation. You will not take my faith. Temptation. You will not take my faith. Now here's my question. Did you mean it? If you're a aren't a Christ follower this morning, all I got to say for you is good luck. Because I'm convinced you can't get through life without Jesus Christ. Amen. You need to trust him with everything you got. And my question is, if you are a Christ follower and you've trusted your soul to him, what's keeping you from trusting your life to him? If he can take care of your soul, can't he take care of your life? If he can take care of your soul for eternity, can he take care of your life for 80 years? However long it is that you live here. And let me say this. It's not by our own effort. You will never overcome temptation on your own power. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6 that it's the grace of God that gives us the power to overcome sin. We can overcome sin, but it's through God's power, through Christ's power. So I hope that this has kind of piqued your interest to find out where we're going to go the next three weeks. The next week we're going to really open up the idea that do we really trust God to meet our needs? God gives us needs that we, that we, that we have. The need to eat, the need to be loved, the need to be successful, the need for acceptance. He give, he's given us all these needs. How are we going to meet those needs? God's way or his way? So I invite you back for that. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for giving us the example of Jesus and his temptations. And as we begin this study, I pray that you will help our heart. I pray, Father, that you would Help us to guard our hearts from sin and wickedness. And Father, help us that when we're tempted, we would slow down and realize that this is a temptation for us to do something that could damage our future, our kids, grandkids, neighbors, so many. We don't just live to ourselves. Help us to understand our faith is at stake. I pray, Father, we learn to trust you, trust you with our souls, Trust you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.